On the Empire Podcast this week, we talk Outlaw King with Aaron Taylor Johnson and then go pod in 925 with actual bona fide living legend, Jane Fonda. Jane bloody Fonda. My word. All that and usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast had recently learned of the following quote from podcast legend Roman Mars. And I quote, If you have 100,000 listeners and you edit out one useless minute, you are saving 100,000 wasted minutes in the world. You're practically a hero. End quote. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the movie podcast on which there is no such thing as a wasted minute. (laughs) You guys all right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, great. Hang on, let me just... Hang on, I'm just looking up the thing. Okay, you look up, yeah. Mm. Be brilliant. Yep. <sighs> so it's been a while. You yeah, guys alright? How's the podcast? How's it been going your, well? How was your commute? It was okay? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It's fine. Well, I just come from the uh, the other podcast that I do, so, you know. Don't know what you mean. Don't know. Never heard of it. Then cut that bit out. Ah, <laughs> uh, hang on. I have to get my knuckles. Oh, oh, howdy. Oh, don't do that. Oh. You get arthritis. A stretch. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have our geek queen. What's your name? Helen O'Hara. Helen. Helen. Yeah, sure. Why Helen not? O'Hara. How Hello. are you? I'm How good, are you? Thank you. Yeah. Good, good, good. And our man who doesn't like the band Queen, James Dyer. Is true? <laughs> that's true, isn't it? You don't, don't like Queen. I don't like Queen. No, no, that's true. Have I just outed you as a Queen hater? No, no, I've been fairly vocal about it. Okay, good. I'm, I'm, then why did you express surprise when I introduced you? Well, because you said uh, the man who doesn't like the band Queen, and it sounded like one word, geek. as opposed to the band Queen. Like I was like, what's a band Queen? <laughs> was the like, Queen who's been banned. Yeah, like a band Queen, yeah. like a Queen, like a, some sort of surreptitious oh. underground rebel Queen, like you know, Mary Queen of Scots. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Mm. So I assumed that I thought assumed it was kind of a very niche sort of historical political reference. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the Animaniacs episode where um, I can stop you right there and say no? Okay, but <laughs> <laughs> at one point they go to Woodstock. Uh, the squirrel goes to Woodstock, Squirrel. and they have a whole who's on stage thing based on the who's on first. Yes, thing. but they but the, the band is part yeah. of it. Abbott and Costello. Yeah. With, do you see with the band? Squirrels. No, the band on stage. No, the band are on later. That who, whole thing. Yeah, who's who, on stage? Yeah, who's yes. on stage? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. very good. I've missed you guys. It's oh. been like a month. I've We've, been away. I've been on hiatus. Have we missed him? Probably I mean, not. I saw him like two hours ago. That is oh, true. Because okay. no, I was in Lincoln, and then I was in Budapest, and then I was in Birmingham. So oh, I've, wow. I've been, I've been, been to going to great lengths to avoid. Yeah, I'm really. Yeah, this is my my farewell tour. No, it's I've been I've been I've you know I've missed it. Oh. Yeah. Well, good to have you back. Of okay. course, you'll have found me every Monday on the Pilot TV podcast. But uh, cut oh. that bit out. But but so, I, this so is my true home. You'll, I, I've you'll missed skip, my true home. You'll skip this one, but you won't skip that one. I'm scared uh-huh. of Terry. Really, mm. is, is more the reason I don't I don't skip the other one. Okay, fair. I think I saw your listener walking past the other day. <laughs> How is he? <laughs> Not looking good, to be honest. No. Bless him. Yeah. His name's Keith. <laughs> he's he's so good. We yeah. love Keith. Comes around every Monday. <laughs> listens. Bless him. <laughs> He listens live. He listens live in the room. I just <laughs> merely it's more that's a podcast and more just a conversation. Yeah. Or a monologue. Anyway, the pilot TV podcast is available on all good podcast apps. Check check it out. I hear it's really good. <laughs> Why don't you like Queen? Um I it's an excellent question. Uh I, I don't 
fully know, but ABBA and Queen are the two popular bands that make me want to stick, you know, Q-tips so far into my eardrums that they are perforated and I don't have to suffer any longer. <laughs> you're mm. supposed to stop the Q-tip when you meet resistance. <laughs> exactly that. But you're not supposed to put it in your ear at all, are you? No, probably not, no. Pretty sure not. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 just, I, just, I just don't like them. Just, just, just don't do it for me. Okay. This is why this isn't a music podcast. Why, why don't you like that that artist? Well, I just no, don't. I just don't is, like them. This really. is the thing, and I've never really understand the way they do that in music journalism. The way they will bang on for like three hundred words about you know the notes and the harmonies and this. time I'm like, yeah, that was, that was catchy. <laughs> I, yeah, I, really? I may have missed my calling as like Mojo's features editor. <laughs> Oh my God! Please, please become Mojo's features editor. <laughs> oh, the Beatles! Yeah, loved them, loved them. No, you didn't, because no, they're from the north. And uh, what, would, what would be on the cover of your? If you had to edit Mojo for one issue, what would be the band on the cover? Pearl Jam. That's actually okay. That's, actually That's not all right. right. That's not a bad it would be answer. Eddie Vedder, and the headline would just go. Yeah. <laughs> in Federese. Yeah, that's Every right. cover line yeah. just unintelligible. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That, that's what it would be. Hells Bells, who would be on the cover of your mojo? <laughs> that would have been my answer. Nirvana, probably. Uh, just while we're going, we're kicking it old school. Yeah, yeah. 90s it. grunge. Mm-hmm. I learned this week that uh, uh, MTV Unplugged, Nirvana's MTV 25 Unplugged, 25 years. years. That's so I'm so old. I'm almost certain I watched that live, so... I don't think we we didn't have MTV in my house, but I definitely no, neither did I. But my quickly. friend Martin did, so and I'm pretty sure I watched yeah. it in his house. I, I definitely had it on VHS and oh watched it on God. repeat. Oh my God! I had a I had a bootleg tape of it from Camden Market. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I used to get all my music from Camden. Now I just have to, you know, work there. Yeah. Run the gauntlet <laughs> of stabbers. <laughs> anyway. 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 Uh, how many wasted minutes was that? Roman Mars is furious he is, to this podcast. He's livid. Oh, he's not happy, is he? I can hear our, our listeners ageing. Stamping his little feet. I don't know why I think he's little. I have no idea who he is. Neither do I. Is he related to Bruno Mars? I do wonder that. I do wonder that. Who's Bruno Mars? <laughs> I know the name, I don't know who he is. <laughs> oh my God. Is he a musical act? Yes, he is. He is. A, yes, is, he, is he one of the pop idols? No. No, he's, no. A, he's a one-man top musical combo. Yeah. He, um, and he's not off one of them. He those would catch a grenade for you. Dreadful reality TV shows. No. He's no. just, you know. Okay. He's a very talented... He's a very talented Very man. talented uh, singer, songwriter, performer type person. What, what, what are his hits? Uh, Finesse, most recently. Oh, Finesse, most recently. Thank grenade, you, yes. Um, Locked Out of Heaven. Yeah. Just the Way You Are. Yeah, those, those ones. You know, I'm drawing a blank. No? Imagine that, but like good. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That I recognise yeah. that. They sing one of them in, in Pitch Perfect, if that helps. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be where I know it from. <laughs> so he'd be, on the, uh, he'd be the second person on your cover of Mojo. All right. Okay, good. Now we've caught James up to speed with who Bruno Mars is. Let's take a question. And this question... Uh, is from oh god I didn't write down who it's from um, superb work hang on a second Roma Mars you get increasingly furious about this podcast uh, let me see hang on Empire Podcast uh huh latest I'm on Twitter hang on uh, this is live Twitter searching people this is really exciting stuff okay. doesn't get much more does. exciting than that <laughs> so wow. yeah Ghost Raider uh, Phil, Phil Dan, uh, Devin Cockerell David Hughes of this parish John Sant Pete Wilson, oh, Ben Murray, Holmes, yes, good, good, come on, come on, Wi-Fi, catch up with me, yes, good, good, here we come, here we come, here we go, here we go, here we go, it's happening, Greg Dassel, Greg Dassel, one, 
asked this question, the following question, which is Clint Eastwood, the director, or Clint Eastwood, the actor? You can only have one. Which is it? Ooh. Well, far bit for me to be in any way contrary or difficult. But my favourite Clint Eastwood film is Unforgiven. So I'm taking both. Clint Eastwood, the actor-director. No, is you one, can only have one. one. No, no, I can't because he acts and directs, therefore, mm. and that is my favourite film. So I have to have both. They are indivisible. This is true. It is Schrodinger's film. <laughs> I guess. In that it is both acted by... <laughs> you open the box. <laughs> Thanks, yes. I'm and clear. until you open the box, yeah. it is both acted and... No, I don't know no, what the Schrodinger is. Uh, this no. is not, no. No, I was trying to do a bit works. of science thing. Yes, like, yeah. Don't, maybe. I just want to please Roman Mars so much <laughs> by making a smart podcast that doesn't waste a minute. Right. Um, assuming they were divisible. Yes. Which well, I think we have to, James. Okay. But Okay, so here's... Okay. Yeah. Unforgiven. All right. Sure. That's saying you have to take one. So, okay, we know that he directed it. We know he starred in it. But you have to take either the performance or the direction of that movie. And then that feeds into which one you take. So what do you... I mean... You, and your cop-out answer is, <laughs> is noted. We have to move on. I'd, I'd, take him, I'd take him on screen in that one. Just, just if for no, no other bit than when he, uh, when he kills Gene Hatman. And it's just like that whole, you know, I kill just about anything to walk, to crawl at one time or another. And I'm here to kill you, little Bill, on account of what you've done to Ned. That's, that's as good as I can get. Holy shit, food. that was pretty good. Thank you. Uh, did you know it's a hot, hot related to music fact is that... Uh, is that <laughs> Bruno Abba, Mars with the score. No, ABBA was originally going to do the soundtrack to uh, What? To Don't say Unforgiven. What? Um, no, it's absolutely true. The title song was going to be Bill, Money, Money, Money. That was not worth waiting for. <laughs> it really wasn't. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Sorry. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for this week's Empire <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Nothing can follow I've that. I've broken it. Sorry. I I would say director, just to be controversial, not because I don't love him as a young and extremely handsome man when he was acting, um, but because I don't watch so many Westerns and so many of the acting jobs are Westerns mm. um, that I would rather keep the direction, the directorial work. Okay. Boring answer, perhaps, but it's no, true. No, but let's say Clint has been patchy of late. As a director? Yeah, you get Unforgiven. Yeah. Okay. You also get that Paris train film. You also get the 1517 to Paris. Yeah, you get Gran Torino. Yeah. But you also get that boring one with Matt Damon, Hereafter. Hereafter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So which is it? Which is it, Helen? You know, you can't, you got to take the the rough with the smooth in this one. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's better on screen, isn't he? I don't know, but like some of his old westerns are not that great. He's always good in them, though, even when they're a bit ropey. Yeah, probably. Okay, that's fair. They're always great. Clint Eastwood has never made a bad film. Wow. Indefensible I mean, position of the week. Yeah. Goes to... <laughs> and to prove yeah. that to you, I will just quickly Google... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Chris Google's Clint oh. Eastwood movies. Oh, there's, oh, there's stinkers aplenty. Yes. Run, run, look. Um, no, Clint Eastwood is amazing. I would go... And as much as I love Clint Eastwood, a lot of his films as director, and that includes things like Bird that he didn't appear in himself, mm-hmm. I got to go for Clint the actor because mm-hmm. Clint the actor means that you've got the, the Dollars trilogy, for mm-hmm. one thing. Helen, no, Helen just like, made the Dollars trilogy. I appreciate it, but I don't feel love for those films. I, I appreciate that they're great, well-made films, that uh-huh. I don't care about. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Do you know what I mean? But you can't meh the Dollars I Trilogy. Can, I just did. Well, so. I meh, you're meh. 
Well, I may or may or may. It's a double meh. Oh, you can't triple meh, double meh. Don't see why not. Roman Mars is tearing his hair off right now. He's furious. He's furious. Face is red. Um, Bruno Mars is really enjoying it, though. (laughs) And Marvin Um, the Martian is having a great time. (laughs) What the hell? Anyway, Clint Eastwood. So then you get the Donner's Trilogy. You get Dirty Harry. I'm not talking about necessarily the sequels, although I do have a soft spot for Magnum Force in particular. But the first Dirty Harry is just all-time great. Uh, then you have The Rookie, which I'm really seen. No, then it falls off a cliff. <laughs> but you have you, know, you have some amazing stuff. Uh, Heartbreak you know, you have Ridge. To, Heartbreak Ridge. I love Pell Rider. Paint Your Wagon. You get Paint Your Wagon. I will take Paint Your Wagon. All I'll right. paint your wagon. Lee Marvin singing Wandering Star Alone. That is why you should get Paint Your Wagon. That's, that's Take Paint is Your it? Wagon. Where Eagles Dare. Yeah. You can't. I can. Where eagles dare? Again, you can't. Broadsword calling Danny Boy. Broadsword can call Danny Boy all he wants. That's fine. I don't. I don't feel love for it. I can appreciate it and not feel love. I like right. the way that in my absence, Helen has replaced me as the podcast hater. <laughs> <laughs> His work with Don Siegel was fantastic. His work with Sergio Leone was fantastic as well. The Beguiled, that's a really interesting, very dark gothic western. I would take that one. He's very, very good in that. And I think there's a tendency sometimes to underrate Clint Eastwood as an actor when he's really good because he had that quite, you know, that quite narrow focal range. And mm-hmm. certainly as a man with no name, he was very much was very much internalised and all about looking cool. But he's really good. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, I've just remembered the outlaw Josie Wells and that's pretty great. So. Yeah, which he directed, so that makes it complicated as well. Yeah. But so you take in the performance in that or the direction I don't know yeah nor do I uh, in the line of fire in yeah, the line, I of, love the line, fire. In the line of fire yeah. what that man doesn't know about pigeons <laughs> what doesn't that man know about never mind the ones with the monkey oh yes the ones any with the monkey way. any which way but the film yeah, yeah any which one. way you can every which way but loose um, I would also go to bat for, and uh, this is not a controversial opinion it's a great film Thunderbolt and Lightfoot he's brilliant mm-hmm. in that Jeff Bridges is heartbreaking in that Great, great film. Fantastic. Firefox. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So there, there, that's 72 credits as actor. So I'm going to quickly skip to his 40 credits as director. Okay. So let me see. So Unforgiven, we're, we're absolutely, that's a masterpiece. The Outlaw, Josie Wells is a masterpiece. Play Misty for Me, High Plains Drifter. These are great, great films. Firefox, Sudden Impact, Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, But recently he's directed the likes of Sully and American Sniper and Jersey Boys and J. Edgar. And I don't feel that the work as a director has has maintained the high standards of Unforgiven or even A Perfect World, which I really, really like in 1993. Did you like American Sniper? No, not particularly. Do you see the uh, the baby from that has been cast as Chucky in the new Charles Play reboot? (laughs) It's a true story. All right, okay. So I don't think that's answered that question to anyone's satisfaction, least of all Greg Dalzell. Dalziel? DL? DL, because of DL and Pasco. Oh, okay, sure. So Greg, if I've mispronounced your name horribly, then please do accept my apologies, but I think it is probably DL, because it's spelled the same way. So Greg DL won, and I'm so sorry about that. Uh, But yeah, James has gone for Clint Eastwood D. Well, both, because I'm difficult, but if I have to, on screen. Okay, Clint Eastwood, the actor. Helen's gone for... I'm sticking with my first answer, director. Clint Eastwood, the director, and I am going for the monkey. <laughs> the monkey <laughs> was Clyde amazing. Clyde or bus. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's an ape, by the way. It's not a monkey. That's right. Ook, the librarian, would be shocked <laughs> yeah. and appalled. 
If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, uh, you can do so via a number of methods. You can get in touch with us on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine and you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. Time now for our first guest, Outlaw King, the story of Robert DeBruce, which stars Chris Pine, you heard from him on last week's episode, is now on Netflix and is well worth a look. We gave it four stars. Four Scottish stars. Don't know what that is in the exchange rate. Anyway, one of the standouts in that movie is Aaron Taylor-Johnson, who's given consistently interesting and varied performances since he burst on the screens a few years ago with a one-two... You all right, James? Where you Are we boring you? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I thought you would have liked this one, you know, because it's, it's, it's a film, but it's on Netflix, so it's on the telly, so it's like a long episode of a TV show. I see what you're saying. So yes. you could talk about it on your little podcast, oh, you and Keith, podcast. you could get yeah. around the microphone. Yeah, we'll do that, we'll do oh, that. Yeah, I, I do like the Yard Law King. James, do tell me more about it. Oh, you listened to the new episode. Oh, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. He's given consistently interesting and varied performances since he burst onto screens a few years ago with the one-two punch of Kick-Ass and Nowhere Boy, where he played a young John Lennon. He's excellent in Outlaw King as James Douglas, and so we sent Helen along to speak to him recently. I was in the room recording the pod on my portable podcast equipment, and though I hadn't seen the film at that point, I couldn't resist chipping in from time to time. Sorry about that. Typical anyway. glory hound, I mean. <laughs> well, you have a third microphone, you got to use it. You know, mm-hmm. that's Roman, Roman Mars. Chekhov's, Chekhov's microphone, is it? <laughs> yes, introduce a third microphone in the first act of the podcast. It must go off by the end. <laughs> anyway, do please enjoy this interview with Aaron Taylor Johnson. Go. Okay, well, welcome Aaron Taylor Johnson to the Empire Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, and congratulations on Outlaw King, which I really enjoyed. Thank you. So how much did you know about this period of history before, before they got in touch? I really didn't know much at all. Um, you know, I met with David McKenzie, and uh, this was a passion project of his that he's been working on for 13 years. Wow. Um, and he has Scottish heritage in his uh, veins, so, you know, he's very passionate about it. Um, and it kind of started there and evolved um, a lot of discussion about James Douglas, really, which wasn't actually much of a character in the uh, in the original draft. Um as it's a huge ensemble and uh, very rich in um, in story and characters, so um, it's very Shakespearean in a sense, you know, in a sense of betrayal and uh, uh, and uh, tragedy. So um, it kind of grew from when we started to do a bit of research and uh, and discovered it. Obviously, James Douglas was a very notorious um, legend. Uh, uh, warrior and mm. uh, and, a, and a very uh, loyal companion to Robert the Bruce. So there was a lot to kind of to play with there. Right. So how did he, so was it really a small role when you when you got involved? Because I uh, put it this way: I remember reading the script, and then when he said uh, he mentioned James Douglas, I went, "Who's that? Which one was that? <laughs> <laughs> which wait, wait, which one was that?" Um, and he went, oh, "Oh, yes, maybe we'll take another stab at that." Then. <laughs> uh, um, because, listen, I met with him very, very early on. So, I mean, like I said, it was it was more about I wanted to work with him so much mm-hmm. as what character... I didn't read as... You know, there wasn't a script at that point. Right. Um, and, and there was a lot of characters. Um, so it was definitely a, a, an open book as to say, you know, who do you really kind of respond to, which was very nice. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, kind of evolved from that, really. It's an interesting character, though, because even now there's not... 
there's not much in the way of lines, really. There's not that much speaking, but he's a he's a big presence in the film. Is that is that fair? That's definitely fair to say. Yeah, he is a presence. Um, you know, you know, I like to joke that I'm a glorified stuntman in this movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, he is he's a presence, and um, uh, and that was uh, very. Um, apparent when reading a lot about uh, the history and, uh, and and the events that happened like put it this way in in history later on um he uh when robert the bruce had died he carried his heart in a box around his neck as a necklace uh, uh to the holy lands or across to the holy lands right and um i think it just says a lot about him as a person, yeah. right? That uh, he cherished him that much, that he loved him that much mm. as a friend, as a you know, as a soldier, and 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 and, um, and so you know, and then yet you also have stories of him being so he's called James the Good and the Black Douglas, depending on I guess which side you are looking at it from. But uh, he definitely put the fear into people, right? He definitely had. He was a sort of mysterious, mythological kind of character in a sense that. Uh, People feared him, mm. and there was a lot of stories of what, how sort of brutal and violent he could be. So, I like the idea that you know someone who's so sort of in touch with his uh, uh, emotional side, like that that beauty of friendship, and be able to carry a man's heart <clears throat> in a casket around his neck as a necklace, um, and yet have this uh, side to him that uh, people feared and was mm. like, you know, they had nightmares about this guy. So. Um, I like the idea of playing in the realms of uh, this sort of joyous kind of character, and then he switches, and then he's you know very, you know very passionate kind of rage and vengeance in his eyes and yeah. his and his and through his veins. So, and he has been wronged. When we meet him, he's a guy who's petitioning for the return of his family's lands. He's been stripped of everything that was his birthright, and he's he's got a, a fairly big chip on his shoulder. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's his whole journey, right? His whole journey is about identity and where does uh, w- what now? You know, he's been he's been completely shunned of his uh, and, and his na- his name's been damned, and uh, not only does he not have his lands, but his his identity has been has been stripped away too, and so you see this journey of him really kind of discovering and 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 kind of making damn sure that uh, that uh, he won't be uh, someone who'd be forget uh, forgotten so um there's a lot in history that says you know this he used to go around shouting douglas uh his name three times and I remember douglas 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 you know and uh which uh, obviously you know they can ignore so that's a part of it um but you know like well, you know the idea that you could kind of explore why 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 and where does that come from and the fact that uh, you know we really um discover this guy right at the beginning being um being yeah being that he's uh, being wronged and is stripped of his name so uh so that kind of becomes his sort of patriotism and his sort of his right and his uh, his whole vengeance, really. So, so how do you get into a character who is capable of those extremes? I mean, this, this is a very different situation, but like Hugh Jackman took cold showers for six months when he played Wolverine, you know, just right. to just to get angry first thing in the morning. Like, is that? I'm pretty sure that like was that? more to to get a good physique rather <laughs> than get angry, um, <laughs> or just to wake up at five in the morning. Also possible. Um, <laughs> Uh, how how do I get into it? Did you say really just that? I think um, you know this. Uh, the process of just getting into this role was was you know you could break it down from 
a month and a half of boot camp with sort of horse riding and stunts training and being able to just be accustomed to sort of weaponry and swords and archery and um and then uh learning to learning the accent which is uh scottish accent it's not an easy accent to do um and to to feel like uh, it's authentic and 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 i mean there was a lot of discussion of that in fact you know of that time right so we're noblemen so we would have been probably brought up in actually england or mm. or uh, and i think james douglas at early stage was actually in france so he would have spoken french so mm. it, it, that becomes a little blurred but if you yeah. want to talk about it in film terms and cinematic way you need to distinguish this is english and you know these, these are scots there's england and there's scotland so you know in which case scottish accent and english yeah. action will do fine thanks yeah. um <laughs> you know but so then you know what i spent was uh, a lot of time reading a lot of 13th and 14th century uh, poetry um with a really great dialect coach who looked after us all but uh um, not only was it broken down in phonetics back then, um, just to uh, you know punctuate that sort of um, that 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 that, uh, that sound and that 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 feeling of um, of patriotism, really. Um, but it, uh, but yeah, it definitely soaks into your skin, and uh, that becomes a part of it. You know, yeah. this affinity for accents is that something that comes naturally, though, uh, as well? Because right from right from the off in your career, you've been doing. Incredible accent, whether it's you know Scouse, John Lennon, or you know even in Kickass, you know right. it's. I don't know how often we've heard your actual voice on the big screen. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a bit afraid to. I think do that. Um, Is this even your actual voice now? Right now? Yeah. Who knows? You know what? It's probably a weird blend of sort of mid Atlantic, <laughs> sort of American English, sort of uh, hell knows. Uh, it's uh, slash jet lag and not enough coffee yet. Um, <laughs> I need a cold shower, man. Yeah, I need a cold shower, and you know, um, uh, yeah, I, not, yeah, do I, yeah, I really enjoy playing around with accents. I think it's a part of it. I mean, I get to transform, and my physical body changes, and uh, my voice gets to change, and uh, you know, I take on the habits of that character and the hobbies, and and you just get to explore. I mean, that's that's the fun in it for me. To, to I don't want to. I wouldn't want to play myself on the screen. It'd be, be I'd feel like it'd be too boring for people to watch. But it's also <laughs> something I, you know, uh, genuinely want to just. Yeah. I suspect even your most boring day is more exciting than than our most exciting days. <laughs> in fairness, that's, that's probably true. But is it is it something that you've always been able to do? Like, say, going back to the playground <clears throat> at school, I were you always uh, able to do voices and, and accents? And yeah, I'm sure that's the basis of what mimicking is, really, isn't it? And just sort of messing around and. Um, Playing around with voices is just sort of uh, some sort of um, some sort of uh, I don't know call for attention. I got I don't know <laughs> why did I become an actor? I don't know. Jeez, uh, um, no, I don't know. I think it's just uh, yeah, you have to have an ear for it. But um, I'm sure if you're a musician, it's the same way. You know, if you play piano when you're a kid, you probably end up being a, an incredible singer because your ear for for pitch and tune is really good but mm. I can't play an instrument you know yeah. so um, so but I, I guess I'm enjoy doing accents but you know I, I want to ask as well you, you had two films at Toronto this year you, you were there yeah. with a million little pieces as well and you you co-wrote that yeah so co- how was that experience? yeah I co-wrote that with my wife uh, and it was an incredible experience I mean it was uh we did. A, we took a year to 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 write that, and um, I'd love to write again. I mean, I really enjoyed it and the whole process of it. And working with my wife was great, and uh, we had a fantastic time. And uh, 
yeah, I can't wait to share the movie with everybody. Mm. Uh, I think it'll probably come out uh, beginning of next year, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll 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 be back again. We can have a whole podcast on that session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just. I mean, it's fascinating to me that you've got two such completely different characters, two such completely different experiences. Just, yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what it's always like. It's sort of the joy of doing it. And also in mm. Toronto, it was nice to have a big, huge Netflix, big budget movie like this, an epic kind of story, and then have a sort of, you know, very small independent movie um, and a very artistic art house kind of abstract kind of surrealist kind of movie. Mm. Um, um, you know, with a, with a really great cast. I mean, yeah. um, uh, Billy Bob. Uh, Thornton and Juliette Lewis, Giovanni Ravizzi, Charlie Hunnam. You know, it's it's one of those uh, real... Uh, it's just really great to do that. And then, you know, for all the film lovers out there, Jeff Cronenworth shot it, and he shoots a lot of... He shoots every David Fincher movie, you know, from Fight Club up. And uh, we had Atticus Ross do the score, and, you know, we, we had a lot of... Uh, it was it was one for the soul. We yeah. say you know in the industry when you you do sort of big budget movies and 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 blockbustery stuff and then you go and do like a small in, indie art house movie. It's like it's one for, it feeds the soul, right? So. so so what do you look for in eye when you're when you're looking at characters? Because I mean you know something like like this, like nocturnal animals, even I mean in easy pieces, there's an element of destructiveness or self self destruction. In a lot of those those people, is that? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know why that. Uh, yeah, don't know why I attract those sort of characters. Um, no, I think you know it's always it's always interesting when you're playing characters that are always <clears throat> trying to find redemption. I guess you know. Mm. Uh, I think we all are. I guess there's always a bit of self destruction in all of us. So like you know we're battling most of the time. We think we're battling other people, but really we're struggling with our own issues and projecting them on other people. So I think that's what makes us sort of empathetic to characters like that, and we understand that. So we always want to see the underdog come through and triumph, a bit like in Outlaw King, really. You mm. know, these are a bunch of un- guys that were against all the odds trying to, trying to, trying to triumph and break through. So, mm-hmm. uh, You say you, you don't play an instrument. No, I play... So the, the John Lennon thing didn't rub off in you? So, 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 so for, for Nowhere Boy, I learned how to play guitar just the same way that, you know, I learned how to ride a horse for this role. You know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of bizarre for me in a sense of... Um, I'll embrace everything that that character would do and I'd take it on and uh, and then the moment it's finished I sort of erase any sense of that shed that person and then try and remember who I am and then uh, about that time I find a new project and become somebody else so um, <laughs> and I think you know that's just this weird uh, sort of journey that uh, I seem to be on but um, you know and, 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 and the great thing about what I was playing for, for John Lennon was he was ex- he was uh, influenced by a lot of 1950s uh, rock and roll so yeah. it was you know just the, the four chords so I can do four chords <laughs> anything more than that it doesn't uh, go any further because that's all I was taught you know <laughs> for that moment so okay, okay. that's it you know um, I wish I was uh, you know piano trained as a kid but um and and it sort of is naturally in my uh, DNA to to do that. When I see a piano, I love when people. I mean, I have a piano at home now. My kids play, but mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes when I have friends come over, they just sort of sit down casually and then play some <laughs> fantastic piece of piano. Go, you know, holy crap! And it sort of you know resonates through my bones, and I kind yeah. of go, wow, that's the most beautiful thing. I think and music is probably one of those. 
it's just the most beautiful gift anyone can kind of sort of do because I think it transform. That's such an it's such an instant transformation. Like it takes you into a, a world, you know, spiritually instantly right yeah. you know you play yeah. music and you you're instantly you you, you think differently or you it, 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 you you move or you just it, it, it it's instant right mm. um it's kind of you know a magical tool that we've i mean had through centuries i mean it's literally you go back to sort of tribal times and there's they're bashing on something and and mm. and dancing to something because it's it's it it uh, it's a spiritual you know art yeah, form absolutely so you, you you have the uh, the guitar and you have the you learned to ride a horse for this movie as well. Would you say those are the most useful skills you picked up for films, or is there <laughs> is there anything that 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 comes in handy on a da- on a daily basis? You didn't ride a horse here, for example. I'm guessing. So. I didn't ride a horse here. No, <laughs> um, comes in handy. I don't know really. You know, I think what what definitely you 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 get from things like that is that you know if you if you focus and. And uh, put your time into anything, you know, um, fully, you know, for at least uh, a month uh, or even a couple of weeks. It's like people take, you know, crash courses in anything, right? And then they, you know, whether you, you want to learn pottery or you want to just know how to bake bread, you kind of do, oh, I did a cooking course the other night and now you know how to cook. You're like, well, great, you know, now. So, you know, you just know that when you experience those things that you can actually push yourself to those limits and and that's what's really enjoyable. So in my time's off, you know, sometimes, yeah, I do want to explore and do other things and mm. uh, and try and go, oh, I've never done that before. I'll try that, you know, and it's got, not got anything to do with a, a role. So um, so hopefully, uh, you know, those, those, those doors can open. Mm-hmm. Is that confirmation that a cookery course is in your future? That's, uh, that's, <laughs> the, that's a hot scoop. Uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for having Cheers. me again. Take care. Okay, that was Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Outlaw King is available right now on Netflix and I believe is, in, is still in cinemas on a limited release, so you can check it out there as well. Okay, time now to talk about this week's movie news and one story dominates, obviously, it is the sad news of the death of the legendary Stan Lee, co-creator of so many of those classic Marvel Comics characters at the age of 95. Um, Because we don't have a lot of time in this week's main podcast recording session, Helen and I popped into the booth earlier on to have a deep dive into Stan Lee and his legacy. So here it is. Yes, indeed. Thanks, me. This is the segment in which Helen O'Hara and I will discuss the very, very sad death of Stan Lee, who passed away this week. Yeah, um, it's it's weird, isn't it? I mean, he was 95 and it still felt like a shock because he was so present, really, in the culture and still doing so much and still so active. I know that the last year or so had been really difficult for him since the death of his wife of, what, 70 years? 69, 69 years, 69 yeah. years, Joan. Um, that obviously hit him hard as it would anyone. Um, and uh, there had obviously people maybe know about there there'd been various allegations about his care that he was receiving. So I think it was a really tough last year for him, um, which is not to say that he let any of that show to his fans, uh, to whom he remained devoted as he had done for the previous, you know, 50 years. I mean, I think he was really a cheerleader for comics and for the love of comics and for the whole sort of comic book community um in a way you know there were tributes coming in from fellow writers who had met him at at conventions and things you know from fans obviously from filmmakers you name it um i think he was just such a beloved figure that he will be hugely hugely missed 
Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, very, very sad. I was on a plane to Vancouver when uh, the news broke. I, I heard when I got off the plane. Mm. But it was it was very, very sad uh, because I think we all grew up with Stan Lee mm-hmm. in our lives. I don't know. I didn't grow up reading Stan Lee Marvel comics or Marvel comics written by Stan Lee. Those came later whenever I was, whenever I got into comics. But I got into comics, you know, through people like Peter David and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Claremont writing the X Men uh, comics back in the back in the eighties, yeah, and then I went back and and tracked down the Stan Lee stuff. Likewise, <laughs> so I think I became aware of Stan Lee really through things like the Spider Man and His Amazing Friends TV show, mm-hmm. where he was. I think he introduced every episode, and he would you know he would trot out those very very Stan Lee catchphrases, greeting Spidey fans, and all all that sort of stuff. True believers, true Excelsior. believers. Yeah, Excelsior, all all that sort of stuff, and uh, I, I can't. But I grew up with him in my life. You know, mm-hmm. I, when I read Marvel comics, it would be Stan Lee presents. It would, he was he would dominate the the Marvel comics. You know, then the bullpen bulletin page, yeah. pages, and yeah, he was such an important figure. He was, and look, there's been um, a lot of talk this week, rightly, about the fact that he was not sole creator of many of his creations. Yes. Uh, rightly so. Obviously, people like Steve Ditko, people like Jack Kirby, hugely, hugely important. But I think there's been sometimes an overcorrective. There's been a tendency to act like they were important and therefore Stanley wasn't. And I don't think that actually is borne out either. I think he was a really important voice. I think if you look at Marvel during his sort of golden age of, of overseeing it, at least, when he sort of really just went for what he wanted to do. So basically his first... He was made editor at 19 just to make everybody feel like a underachiever forevermore. Um, and and then held that position for, I think, 32 years, roughly. World and, War II, notwithstanding. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. He was still writing for Marvel the whole way through the war, even as he worked on the, the training films with yeah. Frank Capra and Dr. Zeus and all the rest. Um, but he, he was there for such a long time, and it wasn't really until the last sort of 10, 15 years there that he started this <laughs> golden run of creating these beloved characters. Yeah. And so there is a tendency to say, well, he wasn't that important. It took other people. And, and it did take other people as well. Absolutely. But also he contributed something. He contributed that sense of humanity and mm-hmm. heart and, you know, sometimes almost soppiness, I think, to the characters. I think yeah. he was a really big hearted guy. I'm sure that he has sometimes, you know, um, played up his own role at the expense of other people's. I think that's a human thing to do. And I think we all do that a little bit. Um, but I'm not even sure it was conscious in his case. I think he just... Is, he was so concerned with celebrating everything that he would just sort of go and do stuff, you know. I think I think there's a reason why it was Stan Lee cameoing in all those Marvel movies, mm. but not say Steve Ditko, who was still with us until recently. Uh, mm. Wasn't Steve Ditko cameoing in Spider Man or Doctor Strange? Stan Lee became the face of Marvel and the voice of Marvel yeah. in a way that Kirby and Ditko and people like Bill Everett and Gene Colan and. John Romita and all those great artists of the 1960s and 70s just didn't because mm. he was a showman. He was, and I think he would have been the first to admit it. He was a ham. And <laughs> and he loved the idea of Hollywood and he loved the idea of, yeah. of movie stars and movie directors fating him and, and being wowed by him. And, you know, there's that amazing story of Alan René who came across to Hollywood and wanted to make a Spider-Man movie. And then that, that was parlayed into Lee writing... Two screenplays, one of which I think is really, he's really talked about. He talked about it on the podcast I did with him last year uh-huh. called The Monster Maker. But I think he loved that. He loved being part of 
you know, that, that, that circle and he loved being the centre of attention and he was good at it. Yeah. He was really good <laughs> at it. Uh, he was gregarious, he was funny, he was a, a natural entertainer. I think that's maybe how naturally people began to transfer soul creation yeah. of the characters to him when that wasn't always the case. But there's so much of him in those characters mm-hmm. and yeah, obviously, you know, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and the rest came up with the looks, but he came up with the personalities and he came up with the characters and those are indelible. Um, and yeah, he's he's been such a cheerleader for um, for the films. And I love his cameos. I know I disagree with James on this, <laughs> but honestly, it, it was always such a nice little nod to to the fandom. And I think it, it, in particular in the case of Marvel, which went through such a terrible downturn before this current upturn, like th- there is something about the true believers who hung on during that sort of era. Mm. Um, and are now enjoying this kind of rebirth. It it was kind of a little nod to them. It was almost like a little thank you to them. And it was also a little sort of papal blessing, I think, yeah. over the films themselves. Yeah. Um, except for X two for some reason. But <laughs> yeah, he's not in X two. He's not in X two. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's because it wasn't a thing. No, exactly. It, it was just a, th- a. It was an ad hoc thing at that yeah. point. It wasn't a tradition. But yeah, it didn't really become a thing. I mean, the the, the MCU could have just had one cameo he could have just cameoed in Iron Man and that would have been a thanks very much thanks yeah. for everything thanks for showing us the way with your shared universe with your multi-character universe uh, what we're now trying to emulate on the big screen but it became a thing where he appeared in every single one of the movies and obviously inspired this this story about this theory about how he's a watcher and <laughs> yeah. you know with multiple Stanleys <laughs> and you know all that sort of stuff I liked the cameos as well. I thought they were really, really fun. Mm. Uh, I thought they were just a lovely nod of the hat to a man whose creative streak I genuinely think is unparalleled yeah. in modern pop culture. The only thing I can think of that's even remotely close to it and it happened at exactly the same time was the Beatles. Fair. The Beatles changed the world in eight years. Stanley took a little longer. <laughs> because, you know, the impact of his his creations was huge, obviously, mm. at first, but... They didn't really change things until Hollywood well, took notice. Yeah, and, and they, also they couldn't at that point. Like the effects weren't there. It wasn't. Oh it wasn't God. possible for them to do what they now do. Yeah. Um. And 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 I do think he was thinking that way about it at that in that era. Like he didn't design those people for t- the TV of the sixties or the films of the sixties because he would have had completely different powers. They would have been great detectives like Batman or something. You know, they yeah. wouldn't have been yeah. wall crawlers. They wouldn't have been Hulks. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, he was he was I think he was purely creating comic books at first. Um and, and they were seen as disposable. You know, he's talked about they did they didn't keep any of the artwork, they didn't keep any of the pages, they didn't even keep issues of the comics. Uh, they they would sort of give them to some boy who'd come into the office and tell him to take them down to the dump. I mean, can you imagine how much the, that art <laughs> would have been worth? If that kid put anything aside, he could buy a house, you know. These um, will be worth a lot one day. <laughs> he's Mickey Mouse for some reason, I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah, but no one expected you know, what came of those things to come of them. But mm. I think he realised earlier than most that they did have some potential. Yeah. And when, when you know, the special effects started stepping up and big, ridiculous, crazy, colourful movies started to happen, like Superman, the Richard Donner Superman started to happen, he moved to Hollywood and he started mm-hmm. work. And, you know, the early attempts were maybe not so great always, but mm-hmm. he was kind of there, kind of singing the tune and shouting about them. 
but yeah, and, and and I love that the shared universe, you know, by by Lee's own admission, came out of the fact that he knew New York, and so he mm. knew where someone like Spider Man would live. He knew what part of Queens he'd grow up in. He knew where Tony Stark would build his mansion. He knew where the Baxter Building would be, mm. and um, and he just had that sense of place, and he he kind of understood where those characters would be and what that would make them as people. Mm. Um, and then also that, you know, helpfully as a publisher or as, as he was later, or certainly as an editor-in-chief, that allowed for these crossovers, that allowed for Spidey to apply to join the Fantastic Four and be told that we're not really seeking applicants at this time. You know, mm. it allowed for um, the, the Avengers. Um, yep. It allowed for him to come up with another answer to Justice League that wasn't just the Fantastic Four themselves. Mm. And... Uh, and that was kind of great. I mean, yeah. it was great publishing business sense, uh, but it also gives you so much to play with in terms of characters. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it wasn't a new thing, the idea of shared universes. No, of isn't, a, isn't a new thing, but I think Lee had this incredible knack for popularising stuff, and he had this incredible knack to just tap into the public's consciousness. It is groundbreaking what he did, uh, and, and obviously everyone else in the in the bullpen at Marvel as well, but... It's astonishing. If you just, when I go back to this thing about the Beatles and this this burst of unparalleled activity in modern pop culture, okay, <laughs> emphasize that in modern <laughs> pop culture. Yes, Mozart also did quite well. Mozart did pretty well. Da Vinci did pretty well. <laughs> uh, you know, so modern pop culture, you know, so between 62 and 70, that's the Beatles recording career, right? So, and they did 14 studio albums and the evolution from where they were in Please Please Me to, you know, Abbey Road Let It Be is, is fast, huge. But Lee and Kirby and, and Ditko and all those guys between, let's say, 61, really, really 61, and what, 67, I think, yeah. is when they really stopped. They'd established enough yeah. of, a car- of a canon that they had yeah. they had a lot to work with by that point, I think. So they created, in that time, Spider-Man, mm. the Hulk. Never catch on. Iron Man. Where? Who's he? Thor. Wow. Daredevil. Yeah, okay. The Fantastic Four. I mean, pretty impressive. The X-Men. Ooh. Black Panther. Not bad. Division. Pretty good. Scarlet Witch. Also good. Quicksilver. Ooh. And obviously reintroduced Captain America. I like him. Namor. Well. He's brilliant. <laughs> He's a man who runs around in Speedos and beats people up and is just an absolute shit. And I, <laughs> I cannot wait to see him on the big screen uh, eventually. You know, that'd be fun. Yeah. But that, that and I've left... Probably dozens of oh, Godfrey yeah, characters for sure, out, like so many others. Um, but and also, you know, he Doctor he, Strange. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> they had a, a humanity to them, you know. What the, 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 the sort of the, the tagline, or I guess the, the one line summary of why Marvel works so well is that these people are human. They have great powers and not just great responsibilities, but generally great problems, many of which stem from these great powers. Mm-hmm. So the Hulk cannot control his power. You know, um, Spider-Man is, yes, trying to save the city, but also get his homework done and get home mm-hmm. on time for his date with whoever. Um, these are problems that are relatable to, and they give us a sense of... Um, closeness, I think, to the characters that we don't have to any of the more godlike DC figures, um, or I don't, to very many of them. And and also they give them, they give us a sense of something more to aspire towards. They give them a sense of being more on the ground level, living in the same world that we do. And therefore, there's no reason that we shouldn't be try to be more like them. There, there's lots of, I mean, not, sometimes very heavy-handed uh, political subtext yes. to these books, um, but also some some stuff that absolutely stands the test of time and is and is incredibly relevant today. Obviously, you know the X Men 
parallels with the civil rights movement. Um, and they stand in for really any, you know, marginalised group. You, mm-hmm. you know, that's why Brian Singer put the sort of next two, especially put the sort of the gay um, issues into the, the X-Men universe. Have you tried not being a mutant? You mm-hmm. know, this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and they fit that because that's what they were designed to do. That's mm-hmm. what they were built for. It's why Spider-Man's worked across three incarnations on, on the big screen across nearly 20 years at this point because, you know, if you're trying to figure out who you are as a young person graduating high school or not still at high school, there's a lot there that you can relate to. Um, yeah. He's a struggling figure. He's trying to get by. He's trying to pay the bills. We all are. It You know, mm-hmm. it rings true. Well, I don't know. I, I, I do relate with Superman. Oh, I do too, but like Superman's, you know, Superman's different. I'm just saying... He's a crusading journalist who's ripped. <laughs> oh my God, that does sound uncannily like you, I'm Chris. a crusading journalist who's ripped. Well, ripped t-shirt or... <laughs> ripped open another hot dog. <laughs> but no, it's... You rip open a hot dog anyway. I, look, I, I, you know I love Superman, but I, I think yeah. a lot of the time... And, and not always, and there are obviously exceptions to this, but a lot of the DC stuff is on a different scale. Yes. And and there are very few he, DC he characters was, who, yeah. who struggle to pay the bills. Ground level superheroes is what yeah. Stan Lee did, as well as the eccentric sure. billionaire playboy yeah. genius philanthropist. And the, and the, and the godlike god from out of town. Yes, you know, he did and those the two. incredible inventor who can routinely <laughs> open up you know, gateways to parallel dimensions and stretch I himself. I mean, there are one or two <laughs> you know, eccentric inventors in there. I'm not saying otherwise. Yeah. And neither would he. But, but these are, these are amazing yeah. characters and characters yeah. that I, I grew up with and grew up loving. And, and I love little things like his... I, I met him last year. I met him before, but I, I interviewed him last year at Comic-Con mm. and uh, we did a brief Empire podcast interview and... I think that's already up on the website, so you can probably listen to that if you want to listen to it again. If you haven't heard it before, go and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Michael Rooker gate crashes it at some point. <laughs> and, you know, I was very conscious of the fact that A, he was 93, B, his wife had just died. Mm. And I didn't want to do that thing where I go, how did you come up with Spider-Man, Stan? Because <laughs> then I would have got the same stuff. The same so, answer, yeah. So I, I tried to go down a little different route. One of the things I always loved about Marvel is the alliteration in the names. I love mm. Reed Richards, Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, you know, Stephen Strange. And so we talked a little about, about that. And because I'm a grammar nerd, <laughs> why the hyphen in Spider-Man is important. <laughs> it is important. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that as well. I love the fact he was such a wordsmith as well. Mm. You go back and you read those Stan Lee comics and some of them can be melodramatic at times um, but at the same time you also get a man who's in love with the possibilities of the language yeah. and don't forget these were gamed kids and some of the, the, the language some of the wordplay in the Stanley uh, comic book was fantastic I think in, in educating mm-hmm. kids as he grew up yeah, and they were all playing with a lot of these new concepts around at the time, you know. Um, even even if they're just mentioned in passing in these comics, but you know, when they you start throwing in stuff about radiation and quantum physics and stuff, like this, <laughs> you know, they they would go out and read science magazines and stuff and try and come up with whatever was cool at the time yeah. and put it in there. I mean, Doctor Strange is is steeped in all this crazy, you know ideas of I think a lot of that came from Ditko but but Stanley yeah, was out there yeah. reading these books yeah, yeah, as well yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and investigating this stuff so it's uh yeah they're they're just they're fabulous just examples of their time certainly but also just yeah fabulous creations he he really will be missed he really will be uh favorite cameo ooh oh that's tough 
I, do you know, I, re- I really do like him as the museum guard in Winter Soldier. Um, <laughs> even though he's am, clearly going to lose his job. Yeah, I am so getting fired. <laughs> um, I thought that was I thought that was really cute. Um, and the librarian in Amazing Spider-Man 2? 1? 1. Amazing Spider-Man? Yes, when the fight is happening between Spider-Man and the Lizard. When the fight is happening and, and he's got his noise-cancelling headphones on. Yeah. Um, that was very, very simple, but worked for me. Yeah, that, that's fun. I really like that. I really like um I like Tony Stank in Civil War. <laughs> That's fun. I like the um I like the Age of Ultron cameo because he plays a World Excelsior. War II veteran. Yeah, because yeah. A we get to hear his catchphrase and yeah. B he was a World War II veteran. Yeah, he was, yeah. So it it really, really fits on a number of levels. It's really, really lovely. Uh and there's some really touching ones as well. Uh, the people listening to this, if you're listening to this, there's a lovely one in Spider Man into the Spider Verse, which will be out in December. It's really, really nice. Uh and just Says a lot about him and his legacy as I'll, well. I'll tell you what as well. Teen Titans go to the movies. Teen Titans go to the has movies. Has a phenomenal Stanley cameo and just like huge props to DC for doing it, uh, for the filmmakers obviously for doing it and for Stanley for doing it. I, I think it's just wonderful that it exists, but it's also a hilarious cameo in its own right. It's wonderful. He was amazing. He will be missed. He created my favourite comic book character of all time, mm-hmm. Galactus. <laughs> And for that, I am forever grateful. The great Stanley, who passed away this week. And now back to us in the studio. All right. Okay, so that was Helen and I talking about Stan Lee. And James, obviously you couldn't be around for that bit, so just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Stan's passing. I obviously am slightly embarrassed to say I've been slightly vocally critical of the Stanley cameos on this very podcast. Um, Have so, you? I hadn't noticed. Sorry, Stan. But that's just because I did not enjoy him in the MCU movies does not mean I did not enjoy his work. Like, I was reading comics like, since I could pretty much read. Because obviously the little uh, American comics were not widely available outside specialist comic shops. You couldn't pop into Circle K and pick up the new Amazing Spider-Man. You used to make a pilgrimage. And I used to live near Harrow, and there was a a comic shop called Calamity Comics uh, (laughs) there. And that's where I used to go and pick up all of that stuff. Early 90s, you know, when X-Men kind of got relaunched, I got the first, we've talked about this before, I've got the number number one first edition Silver Sable, which is worth less, I think, than I paid (laughs) for it. So do I, Uh, You know, the number one Deathlock, all of that stuff. And, you know... I read a lot of the comics that obviously Stan started, so he had a massive impact on me that way, and he's had a huge impact on on cinema generally. So I I may not have been a fan of his cameos, but I was always a fan of his work. There must be one cameo you liked. Yes, the one in Mallrats. I genuinely enjoy that. It's it's, it's absolutely hilarious. That's his first, I believe, the first movie cameo he ever did. Uh, He was amazing. He He was was amazing. He was, was, uh, you know, uh, an entertainment god Mm. among men. Uh, Tony Stank! I think that's not as good as mine. Yeah, I think, no. better, I think your Clitis was pretty good, but your Stanley <laughs> was Stanley needs less. Right. Excelsior! Yeah. Yeah, getting there, okay. getting there. Yeah, sounds like a New York street vendor who trapped his nuts in the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the little fridge as he went to go again. Get, get a can of coke for somebody. Hey, who wants a can of coke up in here? That's what the New York street vendor would say. Uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I just, for your own safety, just never go to New York and, again. Coca Cola Classic. If any of them have heard you, you'll be drummed out of time. <laughs> okay, anyway, oh uh, let's move on and talk about other stuff that's yeah. been happening in the world of movie news. What has been happening in the world of movie news? Um, lo- lots of trailers this week, so we'll get to those, I'm sure. But um, I want to talk for a moment about Rebecca. Um, uh, because in news that I, for one, did not see coming, uh, Ben Wheatley is adapting Rebecca 
and it's going to star Lily James and Army Hammer. Yes, um, and it's going to have a massive shootout at the end. I don't, I don't. I genuinely don't know what to expect. I mean, I'm assuming he's adapting Rebecca, uh, which is a, an incredible Daphne du Maurier novel that you should all read, even if you've seen the movies. It's a fantastic, fantastic psychological story. So it, it kind of does fit his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm very excited to see who plays Mrs. Danvers. So basically, this is this is about the second Mrs. De Winter. So basically, Lily James is the second wife of Army Hammer, and he whirlwind romance, get mm-hmm. married, mm-hmm. bring her home to his fabulous you know castle on the edge of a cliff, and the housekeeper is basically weird and mean and there's some mystery over what happened to the first Mrs. De Winter, Rebecca. What could it be? Can she trust anyone around her? It's it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Obviously, Hitchcock did it incredibly. With? Uh, with Laurence Olivier. Larry. As, yep. Dear and, Larry. <laughs> and Joan Fontaine as the, second, as the second Mrs. De Winter. It is, of course... <laughs> On purpose that she doesn't have a name that is relevant. And what? Then, uh, yeah, she's never named apart from Mrs. De Winter. Know, that's all I'm anybody. D- yeah. you know. Anyway, I'm just okay. Just a little play along. Oh, I see. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm kind of excited, but it's not what you would think of necessarily as a Ben Wheatley joint. So I'm I'm intrigued. Does, does it have a release date? Does reason, it? I'm, I'm just asking just because I want to know if it's coming out in the summer or <laughs> the autumn or. Possibly to spring. Thanks. Um, well, he, he does work fast, so it could be to spring. Yeah. Um, and now that it's being made for a modern audience with modern sensibilities, perhaps there'll be a sex scene. Perhaps the winter is coming. Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, speaking of that, though, let's move on fast. Um, Why? Winter is coming, though. But yes, should, in April in next April year. In April of 2019. I have, I'm excited about this. Which, of I course, think it's going to be awesome. The will, Rebecca thing we, with the I, weekly. We and agree. The, yeah, it's going to be cool. Netflix. 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 Next year. Next, next year. year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, HBO and indeed Sky Atlantic next year. Game of Thrones, the final season, will kick off in April. Mm. Winter is coming. Winter is here. I mean, literally, winter is here. <sighs> oh, sorry, oh, James, a, were you talking about something? Oh. As a long time, like, you know, almost religious Game of Thrones fan, Chris, you must be pretty stoked about this. I am so excited about this. What's going what? to happen? What's going to become? I mean, what become? do you want to happen? What's, what's the thing you're most looking forward to? Well, I hope Ross and Rachel get together. That's, that's the big thing for me. That's, that's huge. Uh, I hope that Alf makes it back to his home planet. I hope the whole thing it turns out to be uh, taking place in the snow globe. <laughs> that would be that would be right. most, which is how sent elsewhere ended. Did you know that it ends in a snow globe? Yeah, it ends with um, the a child shaking a snow globe, then the camera the camera pulls out, and the hospital is inside a Isn't snow that globe. Also, the end of Krampus. <laughs> it's it's it, yeah, I think it is. Um, it's really bizarre. Anyway, I hope that uh, I hope that Tyrion and uh, Jeff Lannister fight the, the battle Jeff. of the the dragons. I hope the white. The White Walkers so are reunited with the magic that was inside them all along. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I, I hope, because every time I've talked to you guys about where you think Game of Thrones is going, and every mm. time I read a, a, a fan theory yep. about where it's going to end up, it always seems really predictable to me. Like, like the people and loads and loads of death. No, not necessarily. Like the people you think are going to be alive at the end of Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Like people keep saying, oh, it's going to be this person's going to be and this person's going to get together with that person sure. and they're going to survive the whole thing. And that all seems a little predictable to me. And one thing, if I've learned one thing from reading spoilers over the last five <laughs> years, is that George R.R. Martin does not do predictable. So I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna mess some stuff up, or, or Benioff and Wise are gonna, you know, take his notes and and do something weird with them. Quite possible. Yeah. Nobody knows anything going into this one, so uh, so it's uh, it's exciting 
uh, to find out. But, you know, we shall see. So speaking of big event TV... So um, notice how all, all our stuff is TV now. No. It's just TV news no, across the board. No, These are just two stories and we just we had a film. we after this. We had a film one just before. Oh, that's like a, that's like a short TV show, right? <laughs> Good Lord. Anyway, uh, The Mandalorian is continuing its efforts to make me care by casting Pedro <laughs> Pascal in the lead. And the of course, played the Red Viper in yeah. Game of Thrones. What's his actual yeah. name? Pedro Pascal. No, no, and the character. He played the himself. Viper. He played himself. And he met a terrible end, didn't he, at the hands of the mountain? My word. Oh, that's good. Look at you knowing things. You are extraordinary. You're a <laughs> dreadful human. <laughs> the mountain, of course, being Gregor of the House Clegane. Which was uh, what I was going to say next. Of yeah. course it was. Anyway, he's going to be starring in The Mandalorian, and Gina Carano is joining him in it. Yes. So yes, she is. those are both good people. Um, who I write, and it's so, irritating to me. So here's what I don't get, right? So the sure. story the story was a Pedro Pascal, who is brilliant and I think has really built a lovely career post-Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. The story was that he was going to be, uh, he was in negotiations to join the show, but surely that's presumably him in the armour, right? That that promotional pick that John Favreau shared a few weeks ago, that's that's the Mandalorian of the title, right? And presumably that's Pedro Pascal I mean, in the armour. It could be anyone in the armour at that point, can't it? I'll tell you what I quite like about The Mandalorian. So I I did some reading up accidentally because I followed a link on Twitter. You slept and fell onto Wikipedia. (laughs) Yeah, basically. What what encourages me is that apparently Boba Fett is technically not Mandalorian. That's right, neither is Jango Fett. Yeah, they just Mm. wear the armour. And this gives me hope that these shows won't be shit. So I'm (laughs) I'm excited by that and encouraged. Well, John Favreau, I'm sure, will take that praise with great heart. I I am, you know, I I don't think he'll get any less damning praise than that. But no, look, it's good casting so far and great. Get him dead. Super good. Do we think that uh, he's going to keep the helmet on, so to speak, in the same way that Carl Urban did as Judge Dredd? Dredd? No, because I think unless you're Judge Dredd, you should get over yourself and sometimes take your helmet off. It might get terribly sweaty in there. And how would he eat? Exactly. No one wants to see their tough guy hero using a straw. <laughs> All I can drink is soup. <laughs> so The Mandalorian, very, very exciting. But in more exciting TV news... <gasps> Sorry, James. Oh, no, we this, speaking? Th- no, this, see, this is news that you will get on board with. Mm-hmm. There will be no more Jack Reacher movies. They are done. They are all moving to the telly box, as, of course, we can all agree, most good things are. Um, yeah, so Jack Reacher will live on now on the small screen without Tom Cruise. Uh, Lee Child has been talking about this. They're looking to shop it to a streaming service, possibly Netflix, possibly somewhere else. Uh, but they're going to look to adapt them with a new Jack Reacher who retains the novel's imposing physicality. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about this many times in the past. Yes. That is limiting. Because if he is, is literally the size he's meant to be in the novel... He's basically bigger than the rock. Yeah. Yes, yes, he yeah. is. Like, or, and many rocks. In yeah. fact. He's, yes. Air is rock. He's bigger than that. He's he's really enormous. That does limit your casting quite a bit. It gives you. Well, he's, he's, I think he's six four. So it's not exactly. six five. Six five. Six five. Six five. And at one point, at least, he's two hundred and fifty pounds. Two hundred and fifty pounds. Aren't we all, Helen? And many times <laughs> in the books, he is described as having hands the size of supermarket turkeys. <laughs> so no pressure, but literally, you've got to. You know, you've got a casting pool that is extremely small and full of people. You know, I was literally discussing time in the gym. this casting on the other podcast, but oh. this is clearly, and we mentioned this. This is you angling to get Joe Manganiello in this, isn't it? I wouldn't say no, but literally, he's one of about five people that are uh, theoretically eligible. Oh. Well, here's here's the thing, because it'll be on a streaming service, and none of this is official. This is just Lee Child kind of, you know, just throwing ideas out there. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe we'll do that. 
And obviously the last Jack Reacher movie didn't do that well and to be honest wasn't really that good. It never go back. The first one I think is great. Never go back. The second one, not so great. But okay, so they're moving ahead and they're doing this for Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Whoever. whatever. Yeah. They don't have to have a star. Jack Reacher is the star. Yeah. So I agree. They can they can oh, they yeah, can no, wait that. for that guy to walk in the room sure. who is six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds and literally has strapped supermarket turkeys to his hands. <laughs> hey guys. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that there isn't such a person. I'm just saying it cuts down your options it does. a lot. And to have someone with also acting ability as well as the sheer size of him. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. He doesn't need acting ability, he just needs scything elbows. Yes. But that's another requirement you're adding to this list. He needs to be able to drink coffee, deploy yeah. a scything elbow from time to time, sure. and say take, nothing. And be able to take several different types of shower. He also <laughs> he also needs to be able to to survive a bullet to the chest. Yes. With only his muscles bullet, pe- bullet to stopping slow it pecs. down. Can, can we just drill down into that for a second? So in the third book... Uh, tripwire Reacher does get shot by Hook Hobie at point blank range with a gun and the doctors tell him that his incredibly insanely developed pectoral muscles <laughs> stopped a bullet from hitting his heart but can I just say that you know because I think the, you know, Lee Child doesn't just make the shit up he does just make the shit up but the bullet comes from a twenty-two. Yes, and it's not a high caliber. Gun. It's not a high. It would have been a thirty-eight or a forty-five or an eighty-three. He might have had some trouble. Yeah, would yeah. Have, yeah. Even Jack Reacher might have might have had a problem. Um, but also, we need someone who has never eaten a yogurt, although he has seen one. <laughs> and and we need someone. <laughs> Love this character so much. And someone who is intimately familiar with the founding fathers of Boots. Yes, yes. that's what I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. So it's a lot to ask of anyone. It is, okay. you know. An actor can learn all that stuff. <laughs> I think the supermarket turkeys and the and the height and the width that's born. I think there's a couple of people in Hollywood who are known who could potentially fill Reacher's shoes. Go on. I think the aforementioned Army Hammer is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they'll go unknown for this. But I have to say, honestly, guys, I'm a little sad about this. And James will disagree with me here because I believe he hosts a rival podcast dedicated to the the joys of TV. But I would rather have had three really good Jack Reacher movies, even with Tom Cruise playing Jack Reacher, who I thought gave it his all. And yes, didn't fill the physical characteristics of the character. Okay, Mm. fair enough. But... But that is the thing, isn't it? You don't don't just need the physical. You actually do need a hell of a lot of charisma as well because he has to carry the show on his his shoulders single-handed. That's that's one thing I'm worried about, actually, because I'm worried that with a TV show, eight episodes, ten episodes, whatever it is, you'll have to fill out a supporting cast and you, you maybe you'll, they'll anchor Reacher somewhere and that's, for me, that's a bit of a mistake. Do you know what? The, um, the Jack Ryan TV show is not a terrible model for this in terms of the fact that it was quite hung on him. You went away and you looked at the bad guys occasionally, mm. but otherwise it's pretty close to him. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so something like that could okay. work. Okay. Um, maybe. But my my thing is, I'd probably rather have had three great Reacher yeah. movies than three great seasons of a Reacher TV show. Nah. But that's, but that's Look, just me. This is fine. As long I'm as he doesn't eat a yogurt, we're fine. Oh, he'd die instantly. It's like, it's, like, uh, it's like in Jumanji. His weakness is yogurt. Like he'll explode instantly. Can we, before we move on, um, mm-hmm. talk about 
Detective Pikachu? Because can someone please explain this Detective Pikachu? This has been to me? massively controversial, hasn't it? And the controversy seemed to have centred largely around Pikachu's fur and not the fact that he sounds like a middle-aged man. Oh, I thought it wasn't Pikachu's fur. I thought it was um, somebody else's fur in a big curl on his forehead. Someone who's round. It's a Pokemon of some description. No, it's yeah, got a the, big curl thing. Uh, there's a lot of people up in arms about a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, which it's, it's guys, it's. It's a Pokemon movie. Yeah, it's, but, I mean, you know, it's fine. Go with it. But so, I, am I going to understand any of this if I don't know my Pikachu from Pokemon? My... Okay, that wasn't really an answer. <laughs> I feel like Pikachu. I choose you. You can tell I know nothing about Pokemon um, apart from the Eevee. Eevee's a Pokemon, as is Squirtle. And Charizard. Squirtle, I've heard of. Mm. Yes, my friends are very of any others. fond of Squirtle. I know that uh, there was a period of time when a lot of people at Empire downloaded the Pokemon Go app. And I remember it coincided when we did our sort of remote office from, yes, from Star Wars, from Star Wars Celebration, Celebration, the XL. And in between like interviewing Star Wars cast members, we would be wandering around the XL trying to catch like Squirtles and shit under stalls and we were on a, doors. We were all in a taxi coming back from there. And there was, there was one of them on Nick's lap for like no reason. And you, you were in the back of the car trying to Yes, I remember this, like hurling little pokeballs at Nick to try and capture it. It was some kind of owl thing, as I recall. I don't don't know what it was called. Anyway. Anyway. Squirtle? Squirtle, (laughs) yes. Yes, Chris. What 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 does that character do? We thought you'd let that go past. Oh, no. There's a little fiery monkey called Charchimp. That's not as good as Squirtle. No, it's not. I would Google Squirtle, but I'd be afraid to see what what would What a Squirtle... I think Squirtle evolves into Bulbasaur. Of course they do. So um, I'm not sure if I'm going to understand any of this film, but I like Justice Smith. I think he's great. Yes. Uh, and uh, Ryan Reynolds seems to be on funny form funny. as the voice that only he can hear and everyone else seems to hear Pika Pika. Is this correct? That's, I yeah, that's, yeah, that's from the trailer. Okay. Yeah. So, um, he doesn't, yeah, looks when he, funny, I guess. When he speaks, he doesn't sound dissimilar to Chris's New York accent. Uh, hey, what you gonna do with the New York accent? Yeah. Okay, now Up say Pika Pika. Now say Pika Pika. Pika Pika. Yeah, it's uncanny. Well, it is actually, yeah. yeah, it's quite... What people at home can't see is I'm moving my shoulders and arms in a very New York fashion. This I've this is what you do when you I... go to New York, you do this, and they accept you instantly as, hey, you're one of our own. Why don't you come in? Get some meatloaf. Huh. You sound like Tony Danza in The Good Cop. Yeah. Precisely. You see? I, I fit in. I become New York. One last thing I want to talk about, and sadly, depressingly, this is also a fucking TV show, is the Cassian Andor live action show that was announced last week, three minutes after we put the podcast up. <laughs> and yet in time for the pilot podcast. Cutting that bit out. And <laughs> So this is going to, this is a prequel, obviously no spoilers for Rogue One, but because Cassian Andor died along with everyone else at the end of that movie... <laughs> Uh, this cannot continue the story of Cassian Andor, no. and it will be uh, will star Diego Luna, and will be a sort of espionage live action TV show to go on Disney Plus, which is their new streaming, streaming service. service. That's mm. what is being called, Disney Plus. Yes, and obviously this is very, very exciting because, as we can all agree, Cassian Andor was one of the most fascinating and in no way generic characters in the Star Wars universe. So that's uh, <laughs> I quite like them. I have a coat that's very like his, so I'm I'm disposed to be <laughs> fond of him. But this is the prequel to the prequel. Yeah. It's not Rogue to be confused 0.5. The, yeah, this is. Mm. I mean, I'm, I, I, I worry maybe that we're maybe just being a bit prequel yeah. focused. But you know, hey, prequels have worked the... brilliantly before in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. So. Have they? I don't know. Have they? <laughs> yes, they have. Okay. Of course they have. Of course. Yeah, I'm. I'm not entirely sold on that character. I don't think. 
Listen, I was on Twitter this week. People were, were actually quite excited about it. So there seems to be a, a love out there for Cassian Andor. I thought the characters that people really loved from uh, Rogue One were uh, Chewit, um Imwe and Baze uh, Malbus, mm. Baze Malbus, and people like that. Mm. Not necessarily Cassian Andor, no, but you know, not at all. Hey ho, exciting stuff. Well, we'll keep an eye out for next year. Disney Plus, new streaming service, five different hubs: Marvel, Pixar, Disney stuff. Star Wars stuff and National Geographic. Well, one of these things is not like the other, <laughs> but that's what it's going to be. So there we go. Just a couple of last things. Uh, we should also pay our respects to Douglas Rain, who was the voice of HAL 9000 in 2001 A Space Odyssey and, of course, in 2010, the year we make contact. Uh, he passed away this week at the age of 90. He was a stage actor and a Shakespearean actor and a much vaunted one. Didn't do a lot of movies probably fair to say that HAL 9000 is his major contribution to movies but hey that's not a bad one to make and he recorded the lines over a day and a half around about 1968 and he was a very very last minute recruitment to the film after Stanley Kubrick had gone through a couple of people including Martin Balsam but uh, there you go, Douglas Rain, who passed away this week at the age of 90. And Helen, I believe you have one more thing to talk about. Yeah, just one more trailer that came out this week, which is the trailer for Dumpling, which is another Netflix um, movie. Um, this is starring Jennifer Aniston, um, which is great, and Paddy Cake's Danielle McDonald, who was fantastic in that mm-hmm. movie. If you haven't seen it, I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Um, it's adapted from the, the book, uh, which is, a, again, a great sort of YA novel and it's about a teenager called Willow Dean who's played by MacDonald um, whose mum is a former beauty queen herself who now runs a pageant and she decides to enter the pageant um, despite not being your typical beauty queen person Mm -hmm. Um, so it looks really really good it looks like a very good adaptation of the book and I think um, it should be pretty great so check that one out check it out indeed Uh, and that is it for movie news which means it's time now for our second guest this week and it's a ruddy living legend Jane Bloody Fonda star of Barbarella Clute On Golden Pond Our Souls at Night and many, many other great movies as well. Her career has taken in, of course, over the years, public political activism, workout videos, and much, much more living up to that Fonda name and then some. One of her funniest and finest films, 9 to 5, is re-released in cinemas this week as part of the BFI's Comedy Genius season. So when she came to London to talk about that recently, we couldn't resist sending our own living legend along. But he was unavailable. So we sent Helen instead. Hey. No, you're a living legend, Helen. You Thanks. know that. Thanks. You know that. Uh, so here we are. Helen O'Hara talking to Jane Fonda. Enjoy. Hello to Jane Fonda. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for joining Pleasure us. Pleasure to be here. Um, and you're here in London talking about 9 to 5. Um, 38 years on, 37 anyway? Something like that. Uh, did, you ever, did you ever expect it to last this long? Uh-huh. Yeah? <laughs> good, good. Yeah. We, re- we knew it was funny. We knew it was about something that is unfortunately continuing as an issue and Mm -hmm. it's kind of universal so yes we're not surprised that it's still around absolutely i'm 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 almost disappointed that it still as relevant as it is because you know i sat down and watched it recently and and it still feels incredibly relevant and timely and um and real uh, to to the experiences of many women in the workplace so Uh that's the only downside that i can see of it of it still you know enduring as it has done yeah yeah I mean, w- what it did was it, it, women office workers no longer had to explain what they were up against. Right. The movie kind of laid the problems out there. All that was left was 
solving the problems. <laughs> <laughs> and that's taking a bit longer. <laughs> and it's taking a bit longer. And, uh, and it's become even more complicated because unlike back then in the end of the 70s, um, a lot of workers, men and women, are actually subcontracted. Mm-hmm. They'll, be, they'll be hired by another company and then subcontracted to this company, which means they have no benefits, they have no security. Um, there's nowhere for them to go if they have complaints. You know, like if, if there's wage theft... Mm-hmm or sexual harassment, or if a woman is fired because she's pregnant, she has no place to go for recourse. It's very difficult. Plus, it's, you know, now there are computers, and um, the office gives you your computer and your phone, and they know your password, and they can know exactly what you do at every moment, and who you're talking to, and who you're writing to. Yeah. It's a whole new list of challenges. A whole new list of challenges. And I know that there's work on a sequel at the moment. So is it, is it those kind of issues yes. that you want to explore with Yes, that? it'll still be funny, but we're hope, hoping to tackle <laughs> the new issues. Well, that was very much your mantra originally, wasn't it? You wanted it to be funny, but also, you know, not non-preachy, but to talk about these issues. And to, to we wanted to put it, to couch it in a, in a, in a style of, of comedy, in a broad comedy. My best friend, one of my best friends at the time, we, we became buddies during the anti-Vietnam War movement, but she was an organizer of women office workers. She created the organization 9 to 5, wow. the National Association of Women Office Workers. And she would, whenever I saw her, she would tell me stories about what office workers were dealing with. And I said, well, I want to make a movie about this. And it started off as a as a quite a dark comedy. Yeah. Well, then I went and saw Lily Tomlin, who I had not known. I, this was about 1977, beginning of 78, in the theater in Los Angeles doing a one-woman show. And I just fell in love with her. I mean, she's just a genius. Yeah. And I said to myself, I, I don't ever want to make a movie about secretaries unless she's in it. And as I was driving home from the theater that night, I turned on the radio and Dolly Parton was singing. <laughs> it was a song called Two Doors Down. And I suddenly thought, oh, my Lord, having her as a secretary, she'd never done a movie. Mm. But I thought people would want to see that. That's amazing. Do you remember when you were first in a room together, the three of you? Did you kind of know then? Well, uh, we, we, Dolly and Lily had the same manager, the late Sandy Gallen, and he had, a, he had us all over for lunch. And they didn't want to do it. I mean, it took me almost a year to persuade them wow. to, to, to be in it. Um, and then once they, uh, you know, I hired at, at Sandy Gallen's suggestion, I hired another writer and a director named Colin Higgins, brilliant guy. And, um, and then they agreed to, to do it. That's awesome. Wow. That's incredible. Um, and was it, was it an easy shoot? I mean, cause Very you were easy. essentially, oh really? Oh, great. Yeah, it was really, really easy. Um, Fox, the studio, was very supportive of it, and Colin was a great guy that we all adored. Mm-hmm. And Dolly and Lily and I all got along. I'll never forget the morning that she came in. Dolly came in with her long fingernails, using them like a washboard uh-huh. as a percussive instrument. And she said, I, I, think I've, I, I think I've got the song that we're going to use. <laughs> and she started to sing the song, and Lily and I looked at each other and was like, oh, wow, this is going to be a huge hit. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I knew the song years before I was old enough to see the film. And sure. it's, yeah. It's a classic. Yeah. That's amazing. That's Dolly. Um, uh, and and it's, it sparked you know, a TV show almost immediately, a musical since, obviously now coming up to a sequel. Um, have you got a favorite of those kind of spin-offs, I guess? No. No? 
Have you seen the musical? Because it's about to come to London, so we're about to go see it. I just it. found that out. Oh, really? I saw it in, in L.A. and in New York, uh-huh. yes. A good one? Should we all buy tickets? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, if you like the movie, you're going to like the play. It's basically the same thing. Awesome. Um, so was there, was there, by the way, a, a sort of conscious decision in that film to avoid the usual romantic subplot? Or, or did it just feel like, well, that's just not relevant to the story that it's we're It's not telling? relevant to the story. We wanted to do a story about women office workers <laughs> and make it funny. Yeah. And, and uh, after Colin Higgins was hired to, to write a new script, we, we, um, I called the women in, who ran the National Association of Office Workers that was based in Cleveland, Ohio, and I said, okay, I'm going to bring Colin out here. Can you round up 30 or 40 women who work in the big companies like insurance companies and hospitals and banks? And, um, and you know, we'll sit in a circle and they'll each tell their experiences and wow. so forth. So we did it. Yeah. And after we'd gone around and everybody had talked, he asked the genius question. He said, do any of you fantasize what you'd like to do to your boss? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and that's where the ideas of the fantasies came. Uh-huh. Which are just such a fun yeah. part of the film. They're yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, tell me as well about Grace and Frankie. I mean, reuniting, first of all, with Lily Tomlin after yeah. all this time. But also, again, it's sort of revolutionary in, the fa- in, in telling a story that hasn't been told before. It's talking about getting older, but starting your life over at the same time, which I think people hadn't really... I, I don't remember seeing anything deal with those kind of subjects before in this way. Huh. Yeah, well, it, it, a little, yeah, it's different. I mean, both of us, Lily Tomlin's character and my character, we've both been married for 40 years to lawyers who are law partners. And um, we don't like each other very much, me and Lily, <laughs> in the beginning, yeah. five years ago when we started. And uh, the very first episode of the season one our husbands ask us to meet them in a restaurant for dinner and we assume they're going to tell us that they're going to retire which means that we can go off and we don't ever have to see each other again and instead (laughs) they tell us that they've fallen in love with each other and they're leaving us to get married and uh (laughs) to which frankie lily's character says i know i raised money for that you know for the cause of same-sex marriage and so they go off, Sam Waterston and, and Martin Sheen, two fantastic men and yep. fantastic actors. And Lily and I are left, and we hate each other. And so that's, you know, yeah. it, that's a, the comedy. And we have, to cre- we have to, and this has happened to people. I had a woman come up to me to say it saved her sister's life. Her sister had experienced this. Her husband had left her for a man. Oh, my goodness. And she wanted to kill herself. And her the sister that was talking to me said I made her watch nine, uh, uh, Grace and Frankie, and it saved her life. It oh allowed goodness. her to laugh at, at her situation. Yeah. You know, the fact that, I mean, how horrible after 40 years to suddenly have the rug pulled out from under you like that. And, and, uh, but we survived, and, and now we're thriving. Yes. And we're managing to get along, and we've gone into the vibrator business. <laughs> Vibrators for older women, because someone gives me a vibrator, and I use it so much I get carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> so I want to make a vibrator that is good for older women. It's very funny. It is very funny. Yeah. It's honestly, it's one of my favorite comedies of, uh, of the recent years. And, and it is brilliant to see that kind of subplot. I mean, if somebody had pitched that in a movie studio or a TV studio 10, 15 years ago, I think they would have been 
laughed out of town in some ways, and not wrongly, but I think they would have been, and I, I, it's, it's amazing to see it. Um, it, it. You are working on another series, aren't you? Just to clear An- Another season. Season, yes. Same series, different Same season. <laughs> new season. Yeah. We, the fifth season is going to be launched um, by Netflix in the middle of, around the 11th or something of, of January. Fantastic. And then we begin the sixth season the end of January. Yeah. Because it's a, it's, a sh- it's a show that's had a lot of downs as well as ups, you know, and, you know, their business has been going brilliantly, but their personal lives and their, their health has been suffering as well. So it's, it's I thought it was an, just an incredibly rounded yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. We have a good time. Absolutely. Uh, do you think there's any hope of us seeing Dolly Parton in it at any point and getting the sort of the three? Well, you know, together? we've talked about it. Obviously, everyone wants to know, is she going to come in? And we've talked to her. And it's not that she doesn't want to, but she's been incredibly busy. And I think her husband hasn't been super well. So she's been preoccupied and hasn't been able to. Yeah. Well, I hope he gets well soon. Thank not you. just yeah, because, he's a great guy. Not just to see her, but also generally. I wanted to ask as well about your activism, because it's been more consistent really in your life even than your acting career I feel like uh, probably a longer period of your life devoted to that nearly than than acting or certainly 50 50 um you know what do you think about the state of things at the moment do you feel like do you do you have optimism do you feel like there's I think a lot of people are quite depressed with the way of the world and the politics of the world at the moment do you feel like there's hope basically well I'm I'm I have a tendency to be optimistic because the uh, the alternative is sort of a, a non-starter. I mm. mean, it's possible that we can change, yeah. but big change is needed. Yeah. I am very scared, frankly, um, more than 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 I ever have been in my life. I mean, we are humanity is facing a an existential crisis, and I think it's important that we realize that. We've never been able to say that before. Mm. This is the first time that one can say and have it be true we are facing an existential crisis, not just because of the rise of right-wing dictators in the United States and Russia and the Philippines and Hungary and many in Italy, but because overlaying all of that is the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so on top of everything, we don't have a lot of time yeah. um, because at some point we will pass the tipping point. And, you know, why is is the climate crisis so important? Because, you know, I'm not sure exactly. I know that some terrible things have happened here, flooding and things like that. But in the United States, as everyone has seen on the news, you know, the hurricanes and the floods and the mudslides and the fires and the and the and the, the typhoons and everything, it's it costs billions of dollars to recover and it's only going to get worse. Every year it gets worse. Uh, and all of our money is going to be going to trying to recover from natural disasters. And just on the, on the basis of the economy, where's the money going to come from for, you know, for helping people who, who can't work or for older people or you know, yeah. just for keeping schools in good shape and all those kinds of things? And it creates tremendous chaos. Mm -hmm. There'll be more and more and more refugees because there are going to be parts of the world where literally you can't live because there's no food and there's no water and it's too hot. And and people have to find a place where they can go. So all of this chaos breeds tyrants. So, you know, it's a very difficult situation that that we're in. And, um, and, and, And so, you know, I just think... 
you know, some of us are more um, prone to want to go into the streets and protest and and organize and, you know, really spend a good deal of our time and energy and money on on organization. Yeah. And but if that isn't possible, because it's not possible for everybody, at the very least, we have to vote. We have to participate because this is this is a crisis and there are more of us yeah. who believe in democracy, who believe in human rights, who believe that we have to be kind and good to each other and generous. There's more of us that feel that way. Yeah. And if we all get out and vote, then we're going to solve this. Yeah. But if we're apathetic and we say it doesn't matter, we're doomed. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's been a bit of a moment for people standing up and speaking out over the last couple of years. And I mean, I feel like, you know, you've been doing it for much longer than that. But, you know, the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, it, it does feel like people are beginning to well, we, stand the, up and speak. What we say in the United States is we're woke. <laughs> we're woke. You know, I didn't expect to be this active at 80. I'm almost 81 years old. You know, I thought, this is the problem, by the way. You know, Obama got elected, and things were going pretty well. Things were going pretty well. And I thought, well, I'll turn 80. I'll learn how to garden. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a novel. But then it didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump got elected. And I'm not going to garden. I'm not going to write a novel. I'm going to go back to the barricades and, um, you know, put my feet on the ground and start knocking on doors and talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really hope for all our sakes that you get to garden uh, at some point pretty soon. I'll be dead before I get to garden. <laughs> it's not going to happen that fast. There's, there's <laughs> I'm too to old. <laughs> oh, no, you're, st- you're still in fine form. Uh, frankly, the fact that you're still working, and you just came from Paris this morning or, or from yeah. France this morning. Yeah. That's so, I mean, you've got more energy than I do, I think. You have no bed. idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and you're back to uh, the U.S. tomorrow, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then I go straight to Michigan uh-huh. with Taraji P. Henson, who wow. plays Cookie in Empire. And she and I and the woman who co-founded Black Lives Matter are going to spend three days in Michigan, uh, traveling all around the state, um, motivating, um, inspiring African-American people to vote. Amazing. Yeah. Well, um, all I can say is best of luck with that. Thank Hope you. all goes well. So thank you so much. Uh, this is my first British podcast. I'm very really? excited. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, I'm sorry. Most of them are more coherent than ours, but we try, we try to keep things loose. <laughs> good. That's good. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. I apologize for being a giggling wreck for most of that interview. Did you spend most of it talking about the newsroom? I just spent most of it just going, oh, oh my God, God it's Jim Oh, God. I'm going to have to do an intervention for you. <laughs> intervention. Intervention has a word T. The letter's TV in there. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, that's Jane Fonda. She's amazing. 9 to 5 is out this week. If you haven't seen it, it's very, very funny. It has one of the greatest movie songs of all time. Yes. uh, The name of which escapes me. Oh, and Dolly Parton's doing a new song for Dumplin'. So it all comes full circle. It's all (laughs) tying up together full circle. Amazing stuff. All right. uh, Time now to talk about this week's major releases, of which there are two. The first one is Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, which is, of course, the sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them the prequel to all those Harry Potter films. Uh, we will be doing a spoiler special for this in a couple of weeks' time because we're going to be protecting those secrets uh, with the director David Yates and the producer David Heyman. But in the meantime, spoiler-free, Hell's Bells. Yes, hello. What's it about and and how is it about? <laughs> sure. So um, our story picks up six months uh, after the end of the last one initially uh, with Grindelwald 
escaping prison in New York from Makusa. That that blithering jackanape. I know. Uh, so it's very, very, very exciting opening to the film. Very cool prison escape, uh, the likes of which you will not have seen before. And um, and then we cut to another three months later uh, when what? we meet Newt Scamander, uh, Eddie Redmayne's character again. He is trying to get his travel documents because they've been suspended because he's been blamed for lots of the destruction and damage in New York um, and uh, is being refused by the Ministry of Magic, uh, including his own brother who's head Auror, who's played by Callum Turner. So uh, he's in a bad place. He he wants to get out there in the world, not only to look for his beasts, but also to try and reunite with uh, Tina Goldstein, Catherine Waterson's character. She, meanwhile, is in Paris searching for Credence, who, if you remember, was the Obscurus. Do you like the way the whole setup of this film is based on European freedom of movement? <laughs> I'm sure I don't know what you mean, James. Nobody needs freedom of movement, apparently, anymore. Well, we're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, just as well. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so basically it's, it's everybody's trying to get to Paris to do things for various reasons. There are yes. an enormous number of moving parts in this film in, in so terms of characters. Yeah. Uh, you've got Lady Lestrange, who we saw very, very briefly at the end of the last one, played by Zoe Kravitz. Mm-hmm. Um, as she now sort of comes into her own, she was um, Newt's kind of not quite school sweetheart, but certainly like bestie, but she's now engaged to his older brother, so there's a little bit of a whole thing there. I know. Tina thinks that he's engaged to her because she misread a headline. (coughs) Meanwhile, Queenie and Jacob are trying to, they've left Mm -hmm, uh, the US, mm -hmm. they're trying to get to somewhere more permissive that will allow a muggle and a magician to get married. Wow. I mean... There's so much going. Plus, you've got you know. Haven't even mentioned Dumbledore yet. We right? haven't even mentioned Dumbledore. We haven't even mentioned basically Grindelwald, and he's got his whole gang of people as well. Um, the twats. Credence has made friends with Nagini. Like, Ugh. there's so much going on here, and, and there's the mysterious characters that I won't even spoil because they're barely mentioned in the pre-publicity, and obviously they're keeping them back. And we're for a protecting the secrets, Helen. That's right. Hashtag protecting the secrets. So there's a lot going on in this film. Some would say too much. <laughs> All of it's beautifully done. All of it is wearing gorgeous coats. Right. But, like, get on with it. Yeah, and, and we all thought that uh, that uh, Ezra Miller's character was dead at the end of the previous film. He's Credence, not dead. He's not dead. He arrives in rainy Paris and he comes back to life, so it is in many ways a Credence Clearwater revival. I knew where he was going with that. I, I was, there was, there was nowhere yet, to run. Like I a runaway lorry, it. you couldn't stop it. <laughs> I, to be honest, I was so in awe with where you were going. <laughs> and the sheer amount of lifting that yeah. had to be done to get Sorry. there. Who will yeah. stop the rain, you might ask. Well, exactly. Yeah, so he is. Thanks for that, James. He's back. I, I mean, look. My problem. My problem with this is, I think there's really interesting stuff for everyone. Potentially, there are great, great character actors throughout this this film and this mm-hmm. series, and they're getting very little to do because there's so freaking many of them yeah. fighting for space in among these, you know, the Fantastic Beasts, which the film has to deliver because it's right there in the title. Um, <laughs> So they're really struggling, I think, even after two films, to, yeah. to properly make a mark, to properly justify the inclusion of all these people and to properly make us really invest in them in the way that we did for Harry Potter, in the way that we did mm. for all of those characters. Don't worry, um, by film five, it'll all slot into place. Yeah, but like it shouldn't take five films because this is not TV, you know? Yeah. And even TV shouldn't take a whole series to get somewhere. I did not like this film. I, I, my, my thing with this, and like, say what you like about the original Harry Potter films, and they are certainly patchy and they're not always perfect, but they were 
literally and figuratively magical. There's something about them that is magical. And this series, however, feels to me devoid of that type of magic. Like, there's nothing in it that excites or amazes or wows or delights. And it feels just like this sort of plodding story that's, as you say, got so many moving parts. And it got to the point where I was finding it very hard to follow. Mm -hmm. But more damning than that is, I didn't really care that I wasn't following it because I was so uninvested. It's like, you're a Lestrange, I'm a Lestrange. Who gives a fuck? Like, it's just, it's just not interesting. And there's a big revelation at the end and everyone was like... <gasps> And I was just like, again, who cares? Protect, like, I protect the secrets. Understand. Yeah. It's, I, and I, I think my biggest criticism for this from a construction point of view is it feels to me like there's not a single, to me, memorable set piece in this entire film. I did not enjoy the escape sequence at the beginning. I thought it was very confusingly shot and I had difficulty working out what was going on. Yeah, the filmmaking grammar sometimes is not Yeah, there. it feels like a novel and certainly, and I won't, again, no spoilers, but the finale confrontation sequence is something I can imagine reading very well on a novel page, but it just doesn't have the velocity for me to work on screen. And again, I found it just, it just left me cold. Mm. Uh, this whole film really left me cold and the characters you do like, you don't spend nearly enough time with. Mm -hmm. And I don't find Eddie Redmayne's Newt Scamander interesting or enticing enough to want to spend the amount of time we do with him. Um, so yeah, I, I, it, it didn't do it for there me. There is a really nice scene with him and Tina. The, the salamander eyes sequence I loved. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. there are some really beautiful little touches that show you mm. what this could be. Yes. But it's just not quite there. And there's nothing wrong with the performances. Like everyone in yeah. it is actually very good. Very, it's very just, good. and I do wonder whether it is that J.K. Rowling, who is very, very good as a novel writer, whether given that movies need a tighter grammar, a tighter structure to them, whether she's suited to screenplay writing. I think her they stuff are, works yeah. brilliantly. They're, too, they're, com they're very two different disciplines. incredibly different disciplines. And Stephen King isn't a great screenwriter. Yeah. No shame in it. Absolutely no shame in it. But I do think it mightn't be the worst idea if maybe she had had more assistance. Interesting. And if she were, you know, a less formidable, powerful force, I imagine that would have been the case. Yeah. But um, I have not seen this film yet. I will be seeing it this weekend. Uh, I feel a little bit like a condemned man going to the gallows, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of fell out of love with the Harry Potter films towards the end. Mm -hmm. um, that coincides with a certain someone coming on as director. And I feel that that lack of magic has extended to these films. But I would try and go in with an open mind. Every day is Christmas Eve and, uh, and fingers crossed. There are nifflers, though. The nifflers are good. Yeah, love baby nifflers. nifflers. Mm, is there a squirtle? There's no squirrels. Well, there's kind of a or bulbasaurs or chimchars or whatever else. There's a there's a thing from the same sort of environment as a squirtle. I mean, it's got lots of good stuff in it. I, I think it's just not quite what yeah. we want it to be. Okay. Yeah. Three stars then for Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald. And speaking of Fantastic Beasts, I don't know if that's a good segue or not. <laughs> We're, that's brings us on to Suspiria, the remake of the Dario Argento classic. This one is directed by Luca Guadagnino. It stars Dakota Johnson as a young ingenue who goes to a dance troupe in Berlin in 1977 and joins it, and then finds out that possibly that dance troupe, led by Tilda Swinton, is peopled by witches. <gasps> or witched by people, I'm not entirely sure. But what do we make of this? Hell's Bells. Okay, I need to preface this by saying, uh -huh. yes. by talking about my screening for a minute. So when I saw this, right before it started, I'd gotten there half an hour early, right the minute before it started, uh, the, the nice lady from the studio came in and she said, I'm, I'm just to let you know, I'm afraid we've been sent the wrong print and this one doesn't have subtitles for any of the German stuff, but we don't think it's going to affect your enjoyment of the film. We just wanted to let you know and sort of apologise for the fact that this one doesn't have subtitles. And I thought from that 
on that basis, that this must be some background chat in a couple of scenes. Maybe a delivery man comes with a parcel for a person and says something in German and then they go away again. And I thought, well, that won't be a big deal. I will yeah. stay here. I've gotten myself to dine. I will stay and watch this film. That was not the case. This film is about a third in German. So my ability to entirely review it fairly is somewhat hampered by that because the fact that I didn't get what the fuck was going on for large periods of time is partly down to the fact that I don't speak German and partly down to the fact that it's completely bloody mystifying even when it's in English. This is the thing. Even when you, it, the subtitles would not have helped. Well, this is what I'm somewhat told, but obviously I can't speak authoritatively on that because I could not bear to go and watch it for another two hours plus yeah. again. Yeah. So, um, so the fact that I did not entirely enjoy this film mm-hmm. is perhaps not an entirely fair review. Yes. So Try, just let yeah. me caveat that. Having said that, it's amazing looking. Tilda I Swindon. No, I think it's I think it's really cool looking. I think there's some really cool ideas in it like the sort of the mirroring dance scenes that become torture scenes at the same time. I think there's there's some really mm-hmm. creepy weird shit going on that I quite enjoyed. Um I think Tilda Swinton as uh, you know the head of a coven makes a natural sense to me and and fits my idea of the world very well and I, I completely buy her swanning around in the maxiest of maxi dresses mm-hmm. being fabulous. Um, so there was lots of kind of good elements to it, but ultimately I find it um, tedious and obviously mystifying because of the German element and not quite as shocking as I think it wanted to be. Yeah, I'm completely on board with that. I think this is possibly the movie this year that has angered me the most. And I'm not in any way... I, I like the original but I'm a horror guy, but I don't worship the original. The original is not a movie I revisit a lot. I like Luca Guadagnino's previous movies. Uh, Call yeah, Me By sure. Your Name is, yeah. is fantastic. We all we all agree there. And the, the theme song, no, don't do it, Chris, uh, is, is great. But this movie left me utterly cold and a bit baffled. And I'll be honest with you, the more I think about it, a little angry as well. Because I think this movie is what happens when you get a director who comes on board a genre movie and is determined to prove that he is better, cleverer, smarter, than the genre in which he is operating. Mm. And this happens quite a lot. This happens quite a lot. The aforementioned Jack Reacher Never Go Back, I think Ed Swick thought that he was above the genre he was working in. And sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that, that results in a really interesting... Chris Nolan probably thought he was above comic book movies and look what he, look what he made with The sure. Dark Knight. But here, Guadagnino has made something I think it is tedious. It is overlong. It is an hour too long. The, the, the original movie is 90 minutes. There's no need for this to be two and a half hours long. Uh, I don't think it looks beautiful. I think it looks really murky and horrible. And, uh, uh, and, and more to the point, it's really boring and quite pretentious. It feels mm-hmm. like an off, 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 off Broadway play at, at times. And it just, it, it just kind of, I just feel that he was trying desperately to prove that he was smarter than the genre. But you know what, mate? Horror is smarter than you. Ooh. Take take that, Ooh. take that so-called Luca Guadagnino. If that is your, if, oh, it is your name. Okay, if that is okay. Your real name. Yeah, it just this one left me a bit cold. And I'll be honest with you, it it happened very early on. It happened, if I'm completely honest, from the very first frame of the movie, which is a title card, which declares, oh yeah, that the movie that you're about to see will be presented in six acts and an epilogue. Which has which has the effect of suddenly making you tick off the acts in your mind as this thing, this interminable thing, just unfolds in front of you. But also, I was sitting there thinking, going, six acts and an epilogue. Shakespeare only did five. You're not one better than Shakespeare, mate. <laughs> yes, I had exactly the same thoughts at that point. Uh, just eye rolling all over the place, yeah. which obviously is, you know, 
bad because it was still Christmas Eve at that point. <laughs> but it became Christmas morning like yeah. really soon. Oh yeah, it 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 yeah, it bored me to tears. Having said that, there is one really really cool death scene. And I quite like the audacity of having Tilda Swinton pretend to be an old German man for most <laughs> of, the, of the running time. Um, yeah, yeah she's, she, kind she of makes a very good old German man who's there for some reason. Yeah, but ain't scary. And I, we talk sometimes on the podcast about the evolution of new horror films, things like It Follows and The Witch, you know, about how they, they don't have the jump scares in which mm-hmm. a lot of horror, modern horror is, is based. But I think those movies are great because they have a mood and a mystery and, and a darkness that's really unsettling and really brooding, brooding and foreboding, yeah. brooding as well, brooding, in fact, yeah. and squirtling and all those words. <laughs> this, I think, missed a mark by, by a country mile. I think it really wants to be like The Witch, actually. Yeah. I think it wants to to have that feel of slow building tension and and it, it takes a really long time to get anywhere and then the payoff isn't as good as you want it to be. Agreed. Agreed Amundo. Three stars then for Suspiria and really quickly, 25 seconds to talk about the Keanu Reeves thriller Siberia to which we gave two stars. It's rubbish. Don't go and see it. Okay. It's, it's not John Wick 3. He doesn't do anything fun. It has a horrible misogynist scene in it. It's incredibly cold and boring, just like the place. Siberia, two stars, avoid. <laughs> That's James's review of Siberia the film, and also his TripAdvisor review of Siberia the place in, in one fell swoop. I don't know. I've always thought it seemed quite interesting. Apologies to all Siberian listeners. Yeah, yes, I'd quite like to go one day. Yeah, you know, see the the giant crater from the meteor that struck in 1911, Tunguska. Oh, yes. I've seen that episode of the X Files. <laughs> yeah, oh, see, he's always banging on about TV, isn't he? <laughs> His little podcast with Keith. <laughs> so much fun. Anyway, two stars in for Siberia, and that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Taron Edgerton, star of Robin Hood. And (gasps) (gasps) Kurt Russell. No. Yes, Yes. Kurt Russell. No way. Way. Even better than Pikachu. (laughs) He's almost as good as Jane Fonda. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I looked it up. Squirtle does not evolve into Bulbasaur. Oh, no. Sorry. You've That's misinformed us all. Don't check James's Google history whenever you do. <laughs> uh, Google, what is a Bulbasaur? Google, what is a Squirtle? What is this video? Oh my God! Right. Anyway, Kurt Russell, uh, star of the Christmas Chronicles in which he plays Santa Claus. With the best hair. Oh, naturally, it's Kurt Russell. I know, but it's, it's worth mentioning. And a lovely beard. But that's not any way to talk about Goldie Hawn. Thank you. As your lawyer, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) On that bombshell, it is goodbye from Helen (laughs) O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to apologise to Roman Mars, who presumably by this point has exploded. Sorry about that, Roman. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.